to the Elemental Entrepreneurship Podcast, where we discuss the earth, air, fire, water, and spirit elements of building a thriving, successful, creative business and life. I'm your host, Sarah. I'm so excited to be with you today. It is the week between Christmas and New Year's, that liminal space where no one knows what day it is or what's happening. It's one of my favorite weeks of the year. I love this period as a time to be contemplative and look back at all that occurred in this calendar year and start thinking about what I want, what intentions I want to set for the year ahead. And so that's what I've been doing. And if you are doing the same, I'm glad that you're here spending some of that inward time with me. I have a little gift for you to that end, and I'll tell you about that in just a second. But first, I want to tell you that our episode today is from a live event I hosted I think it was last week, but it feels like a hundred years ago. I'm pretty sure it was a week ago, uh, uh, called the gifted kid to struggling entrepreneur pipeline, why we're all fucked up and how to fix it. And the episode you're going to hear today is day three of that event about how to move from idea to completion so that you can start selling things and making money in your business, which is a thing that a lot of us really struggle with, um, not just moving from idea to starting, but actually finishing things enough that we can share them is a big struggle for a lot of folks, especially former gifted kids. So you're going to hear that episode today. If you want to catch the first two days, uh, you can still do that. If you're a member of my Unstuck Facebook group, the replay links are already up in there. But if you are not, the link is in the show notes. So you can click on that link and you can grab the replays for day one and day two. And if you wanted to watch this instead of just listen to it, this one is up there as well. Before we get into the episode, there's a couple of things I want to share with you. Uh, One is that the doors for the Elemental Entrepreneurship Coven are open right now. If you want my help, my hands-on, eyes-on-your-business, direct feedback for you on building your heart-centered creative business in 2023, the coven is the place for you. I would love to help you. This is not a fluffy, theoretical, you join this group and you get lost in the sauce. That's not what happens here. I'm in there every single day, answering people's questions, looking at people's copy, giving people feedback, helping people create offers. So if you need help, building your business from the ground up, if you need help moving from idea to completion, execution, sales, I would love to help you. Also, if you've been DIYing your business for a long time and you're just not getting the results you want and you are frustrated trying to figure out why all by yourself, I would be happy to help you. And the Coven is an amazing place to get that support. You can sign up now until January 6th. But if you sign up before the end of 2022, if you register for any package by midnight on New Year's Eve, you are invited to take $1,217 off annual membership. It is a huge discount. You can get support for the entire year for $19.99. 
or $79.99 if you opt into VIP membership. And what VIP membership gives you is everything that's inside the coven. So twice a month group coaching, twice a month ongoing workshops, um, all of the elemental entrepreneurship course material, everything included in our private group. You get all of that plus a 90 minute one-on-one coaching session with me every month for all of 2023 for less than eight grand. It's a very high value proposition and one that I hope you take advantage of. I would love to commit to a year of growth and support for your business with you. So if you want to take advantage of that, the link is in the show notes. Those discounts on annual membership will go away on January First. So if you want to lock in annual membership at the best possible price, get in now. Um, but the doors will be open until the 6th of January. It's just that that early bird pricing goes away. Um, monthly memberships are also available. When you join at the monthly rate, you can just leave at any time. You're not locked in for any long-term commitment. So either way that you go, it's an amazing way to get support, community guidance, coaching for an incredible price. And I would love to help you build or grow, build and grow your business in 2023. So hop into the coven links in the show notes. Next, I made you a little gift. I created a journal last year for myself during this reflective time to go element by element through my own business and reflect on what went well, what i experienced what I needed to think about, and also then to go element by element and set intentions for the year ahead. And I shared it with my private clients and I liked it so much and they liked it so much that this year I'm really excited to share it with everyone. So the link for that is in the show notes. It's free. You can have it. It's a fillable PDF or you can print it or answer the questions in your favorite journal and it will lead you element by element through what happened in your business last year and what you want to have happen in your business next year. It's a really good way to kind of get your head on right about where you're headed, where you've been and where you're headed. So that's in the show notes as well. Finally, last announcement, I swear, I am hosting the third annual New Year's Day visioning and planning session on 1-1 at 11 a.m. PST. And This is a really fun event where we use time techniques, NLP, guided visualization, we make vision boards, we hang out, we drink cozy beverages, and we dream up the year ahead together. And it's a super fun event. The link for it is in the show notes. It's 49 bucks. However, it is included for members of the Elemental Entrepreneurship Coven. So if you're thinking about joining the coven, Do that first, and then you don't have to register for this event because it's included. If you're not sure, you can register for the event, and if you end up deciding to join the coven by the 6th, I'll give you your 50 bucks back. So either way, it's free for members of the coven, and if you would like to join that, the link is in the show notes. Okay, that's all of my announcements. Coven is open. There's a free journal for you in the show notes. There's an event on January 1st that you can come to, whether you're a member of the coven or not, free for members of the coven. Is that everything? That's everything. That's plenty. All right. I hope you enjoy listening to this replay of how to move from idea to completion so that you can actually sell shit and make money 
in your business. You're also going to hear a Q&A at the end that I left and stayed and hung out and answered people's questions. So uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. If you have any questions about anything, always feel free to DM me at Intuitive Edge Coaching on Instagram or shoot me an email, hello at intuitiveedgecoaching.com. I'd love to talk with you. Happy holidays. Enjoy the episode. So before we dive into day three's material, um, I had a couple conversations with people in the DMs yesterday about joining Elemental Entrepreneurship Coven. And I want to just share a thought that I was having because I've had a few people say, I want to, but I'm worried because I don't know if it's going to work. And I have a couple of things that I want to share. One is that sometimes we're afraid to make these investments because we've invested in coaching programs before that were not great. And like, I have that too. I've been burned by coaches. I've spent a lot of money and had an experience where I was like, oh, this person really didn't help me. And I've also had amazing coaching experiences, which is why I'm a coach where people like really cared about me and showed up for me and helped me with stuff and like helped, like really helped me. Um, and I really very much like believe in coaching and believe in the coaching industry. It's also a heavily unregulated industry. And so I get, um, nerves about investment in a heavily unregulated industry, right? Like that's why so many of us have had bad experiences because there are a lot of people out there who have really good marketing and are not actually trained coaches, right? They're not certified life coaches. They didn't go through any training program for coaching, or they don't really have experience with curriculum design. There's nothing worse than getting into a program and like opening a course you just spent thousands of dollars on and realizing it's all fluff. There is nothing worse than getting in a room with someone you just paid thousands of dollars to help you and being like, oh, I know more than this person. Fuck. So I get that part. And all I can say to that is there are other people in here who are in the group and you are welcome to talk to any of my past clients. Um, I am a certified coach. I I'm a teacher with 20 years of experience. I love curriculum design. I'm a super nerd. So all of the course material is designed in a very thoughtful and thorough and comprehensive way. Um, And then you get real coaching in the program. It's not... I, it is very rare that someone shows up with something that we cannot coach them through. And sometimes when that does happen, it's because it's not something that we can tackle on a group call. And then I will usually take time out and work with that person privately. I'm in people's DMs. I'm watching everybody's stories. I'm chatting with people. I'm there. So it's not the kind of thing where you're going to get in there and just be totally on your own and no one's going to talk to you and you're not going to get any help. And so I just want to um, really let you know that that's not going to happen in here. Allie says, I've been in both types of coaching containers. EE Coven is one of the really, really good containers. It's not fluff at all. It's entirely practical, real health. Yay. Thank you, Allie. So the other thing I want to say, because I think this is what fits with what we're dealing with in here, is the idea of, is this going to work? I think sometimes when we were talking on the first day about the idea of like, I'm going to create one thing, I'm going to share it one time and it's going to make me a millionaire. There's some of that idea sometimes like, oh, I'm going to sign up and it's going to change my life. That's not going to happen, right? Signing up on its own. No, if that's your thought is like, I'm going to sign up for this and that's going to magically change everything. Don't sign up for that reason. Don't do it. 
And I hate to use a diet culture example. So like slight trigger warning on a diet culture example, but I see a lot of parallels with diet culture thinking as someone who was very seduced by diet culture for a large portion of my life is sometimes when we're like, will this work for me? There's the difference between like a magic pill and a dumbbell. Does a dumbbell work? Well, it's heavy and it's just sitting there. (laughs) So is the question, right? The question with a magic pill is I'm going to take this, I'm going to put it in my body and I'm going to wait. And I'm going to see if the pill on its own magically changes my life. Usually the answer is no, which is why diet culture is what it is, right? The question with a dumbbell is not do dumbbells work? The question is, am I going to pick it up and put it down over and over? (laughs) If I pick it up and put it down over and over, something's going to happen. My muscles will change. I will become stronger because the dumbbell just is what it is. So the question isn't do dumbbells work? It's am I going to use this piece of equipment that I bought, right? And that is entirely up to you. That's kind of the beautiful thing about this. It's not up to anyone except you what kind of results you get with the tool. The decision is, will I engage with this tool? And I was thinking about, you know, how many people like, like the business model of gyms is that they want people to sign up and never go and maintain their membership. I don't want that. I don't want you to sign up and never come. You will not get anything out of it. And so if your hope is that just signing up is going to change everything for you, do not do it. But if you're ready to make the decision that you're going to use the tool, right? That you're going to show up every day, that you're going to be engaged, that you're going to do the work, that you're going to collect the data. And now here's the other thing about collecting data. Sometimes we're like, well, dumbbells don't work. And you're like, how many times did you pick it up and put it down? And they're like, once. Well, you don't know if it works or not. You didn't actually collect enough data to figure out whether or not free weights makes you stronger. (laughs) You have no data to base that decision on. Now, if you picked up and put down the dumbbell 10 times every day for six months, then you have collected enough data to actually review the data and say whether or not this tool worked for you. Same thing with the coven. If you engage with it every day for six months and at the end of it, you're like, okay, well, I didn't get anything out of it, which I think is impossible, but fair, right? Okay. I used it and it didn't do what I was hoping it would do. You've collected enough data to make that assessment. But if you sign up for it and you never open it a single time, you actually don't know whether or not it works because you didn't use it. You just signed up for it, right? It's like, I bought an exercise bike and I hang my clothes on it. (laughs) It didn't, but you didn't use it the way it was intended to be used. Now I want to give back the power to you. There is no mystery about whether or not something's going to work. If you make the decision that you're going to engage with it and make it work for you. Right now, again, in the coaching world, there's a lot of people passing off and saying anything that doesn't work for people is the client's fault. And I'm not saying that. But it's the question, am I going to work? Yo, I work. I'm going to be there. Will I review your copy for you? Yeah, but you have to write copy and you have to show it to me. Will I help you with your offers? Yes, but you have to come up with an idea and talk to me about it. Will I be at every single coaching call there to answer your questions and help you with things? 100%, twice a month for the rest of your fucking life, as long as you're in the membership. I will be there. I'm going to work. I will be there. That's what we're doing in the group is we're working. And so the question is, do you want to come do work with us? And if you want to come to work with us, you are going to get something out of it. That is a guarantee that I can make you. I can absolutely promise you that. But I will also tell you, there's no urgency. 
I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be there. The doors open every solstice. So if right now you're like, I'm not ready, I'm not going to come in and do the work. I have too much going on in my life. It's not a good time for me. Don't do it. Come to my free stuff. Hang out with me on Instagram. Listen to the podcast. Do your thing. Come when you're ready to do it, right? I don't want you to sign up and never engage with the material. That's not my interest in business. I don't want to like passively collect your money. It doesn't make me feel good. I want people who are going to come be part of it. And if now is not the time, I'm not going anywhere, which leads me to another thought that I want to share about, will this work for me? And I think that this is a combo gifted thing, kid thing and ADHD thing until like a couple years ago, I had no ability for long-term planning. Who else is incapable of thinking of what their life will be like in three years? People will be like, what's your five-year plan? And I'd be like, I don't know her. I have never met her. I don't know what I'm going to be like in five years. I can't make plans for her. I can't picture it. And some of that I realized is because I had no idea how long things take. Partially because I had super unrealistic expectations about how long things take. I want them to not take long, right? I still like the idea that I'm going to create something, I'm going to drop it, and it's going to make me a millionaire. The idea that things take a long time, don't have that. Also, same thing, right, with the being seduced into diet culture thinking. The idea that you're going to get the results of a year of weightlifting in three weeks if you follow someone's secret patented system that doesn't exist, I get seduced by that idea of we can do it fast. I can do it fast, right? Now, here's the thing about that. The first rule of business, as far as I'm concerned, is everything takes way longer than you think it's going to. That's also the first rule of art and the first rule of like traffic. (laughs) Everything takes way longer than you think it's going to. If I have a project on my schedule that says it's going to be two hours, I should block out four. And that's not just because of that Parkinson's law thing where everything like takes as long as you give it, but just everything in business takes longer than you think it's going to. When I really started to wrap myself around that, what I came to know in my bones is that we underestimate what we can do in one launch. No, sorry, other way around. We overestimate what we can do in one launch and underestimate what we could do in five. We overestimate what we could do in one week, but we underestimate what we could do in five. We overestimate what we could do in one month and underestimate what we could do in five. We overestimate what we could do in one year and underestimate what we could do in five. Most of us, because we're overestimating how much we can accomplish in a one-off and then getting disappointed, don't make it to five. When I started the Elemental Entrepreneurship Coven, I was like, I'm going to give this project three years before I'm going to be able to assess whether or not it works. That's how long it's going to take. Memberships are a slow business model. I'm committing myself to working my ass off at this project for three years to collect data before I can tell whether or not this is working. I want you to consider with your art, with your business, with the thing you're trying to grow. Have you given yourself dedicated time where you're really putting in work for long enough to collect data to see what works and what doesn't, right? Even when you think about social media, if you're making three posts a week for a year, oh God, math, I don't even have my, wait, do I have my phone? Hold on. Let me do math. Cheese and rice. No, I can't do division. It's 52 weeks in a year, right? That's correct. 
Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, so 52 weeks in a year. So 52 times three. If you post three times a week, right? Because so many people are like, what's the minimum I can post on my social media? You post about your business three times a week for a year. That's 156 posts. And then you're like, I don't know what content resonates with my audience. I don't know what's working and what's not. It doesn't really seem like this is hitting. There's so many other metrics we can get into here. Only 4% of your followers see your posts, the way that account growth happens, right? But you make 156 posts in a year and you just don't know if social media is working for you. Now, meanwhile, there's somebody else who's posting every day. That means they have 356 pieces of content that they can analyze for data about what is resonating with their audience and how social media is working for them. And then there's the person who's posting maybe two times a day, and that person has 712 pieces of content that they can analyze for data about what resonates with their audience. And they can now be like, okay, more of my people like it when I talk about this in my business, so I'm going to do more of this, and then that's starting to build them traction. It's going to take the person who's posting three times a week three times as long to figure out what works and what doesn't for them because they're just not interacting with it enough to collect the data, right? Thinking about stuff like this really helped me shift out of some of my gifted kid mindset because I get the idea of data. (laughs) I get the idea of like, okay, I haven't actually given myself enough to work with to make a decision about whether or not this works. So if we're looking at our business and we're saying, well, this isn't working, but you've put out one offer in a year, you don't know whether or not it's working. You haven't put in enough concerted time and effort? Have you dedicated yourself to learning business and getting coached in your business with one mentor who's really hands-on with you for a year to say whether or not your business works? And if you haven't, perhaps you have not given yourself or your business enough data to work with to figure out what's working and what's not. So those are my my thoughts. And I think some of that idea about data collection works really well about moving from idea to execution. So we're going to take a shift. I'm going to check in the chat. Melissa said, what if we know we'll use the tool, but we don't necessarily have a business or product or service or course developed yet, but have ideas? It will help. Um, uh, DM me on Instagram and let's talk about it. I want to make sure that you're in a good place. But there is a lot of work, especially in Earth Element, where we really help you distill what is it that I am here to do in the world and who is it that I really care about helping and how do I want to do that? We go through how to create a product, how to create an offer, how to develop a product suite. All of that is in there. My idea when I created the Elemental Entrepreneurship course material was if somebody came to me and said, I want to start a business, how do I get from nothing to consistent thousands of dollars of revenue a month? What would I need to tell them? And then I wrote, and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. It's like 48 hours worth of training videos. Also in all of the material, there's video and there's audio. So depending on your listening style, you can listen. It's on an app. It's on the Kajabi app. So you can like listen to the MP3s of the lesson. And then there's fillable PDFs. So if you're a handwriter, you can print them. Or if you're a typer, you can fillable PDF them. So you're going to be learning a concept You're going to be doing some integrating. How does this concept apply to me? What are my ideas about this? And then you can come to the coaching calls and talk with us about it or go into the coven group and talk with folks about it. Uh, Jamila said, literally, Sarah is the best. So generous with her coaching and so smart. Highly recommend. I talk about how grateful I am for her and her teachings every day. Thank you, Jamila. And Jamila knows, and some of these people know, I will be in your DMs, even if you're not in the coven anymore. I'm like, I'm watching your launch. What's going on? I can't help myself. I care. I really want y'all to be successful. 
Um, okay. So the, I, don't, I don't need my phone anymore. Get away from me. That's how I feel about my phone almost all the time. Get away from me. All right. I'm going to close the chat. And we're going to get into this idea of moving from idea to execution so you can actually complete shit and sell it. Would anybody like to read the invocation? Anybody feel like reading this morning? All right, I'll read it. Take a breath, get centered. We are in this space to honor the humanity in ourselves and those we hold, to grow, expand, challenge ourselves, and to learn and unlearn with a non-judgmental attitude toward ourselves and others. We hold this space of curiosity, grace, and tenderness for ourselves and the group with an open heart and a beginner's mind. May we remember that we are not perfect humans and perfection or getting it right is neither expected nor required here. We are entrepreneurs, artists, creatives, and healers who are doing our best to understand the world, ourselves, and how we expand our businesses in the way that feel most true and aligned for us. And I want to shout out Rachel Turner, uh, who's one of my teachers. She's a trauma-informed coach, and she uses a very similar invocation in her spaces. All right, so today we're going to talk about why we struggle to complete things. Um, we're going to start, talk about how to start practicing completing things and sharing them. And I already know we're going to run a little over, but I'll stay and hang out and answer questions. And we were talking about the coven, but we already did it. So we're going to take one more look at the meme that started it all. We're looking back at our gifted kid bingo uh, board. So just noticing things here, losing interest and in quitting anything that doesn't come easily to you, our fear of not living up to potential, refusing to ask for help, existential anxiety, always looking for a new form of escapism, need for constant validation, easily bored, uh, thinking you're destined for greatness but having non-existent motivation, not trying at work because you think the work is pointless, always tired, uh, always making excuses, big trust issues, need for instant gratification, risk-taking behavior, right? So... We're trying to complete a big project, but we've got losing interest in quitting at things that don't come easily to us, a feeling that if we don't finish something instantly and easily, there's something wrong for, with us, a need for instant gratification, trust issues, and thinking the work is pointless, refusing to ask for help, and a need for constant validation. Any one of these things could cause us to give up on a big project, but all of them together, it's amazing that we have ever gotten anything done at all in our lives. So in order to finish it, we need chunking, like smaller, smaller, still smaller, smaller than that. Put some chunks back, <laughs> smaller, <laughs> smaller pieces. Smaller pieces is great for our instant gratification needs because smaller pieces means more finishing, which means more gratification. <laughs> like, right, like who does this? Does anybody else like write things you've already done on your to-do list so that you can check them off because it feels good? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. We all have that. Right. So like, it's not just like, I don't want to put get ready on my list. I want to put brush my teeth, wash my hair, dry my hair, do my makeup. Cause then I get to check off four things. <laughs> we need more chunks. <laughs> Ta-da list. Yes. I love it. Understanding the difference between a task and a project. If it has more than one step, it's a project, not a task. A lot of us fuck ourselves up by calling projects tasks. 
and not listing out every single step involved in the project and checking them off one at a time. See number one. So here's what I mean. Start blog. That is not a task. That is a project. And a lot of us will put something like start blog on your to-do list. And then you're like procrastinating on that one and freaking yourself out. And you're like, oh my God, this to-do is just like lingering forever. And it's because inside something inside you knows you're like, that's going to take actually a long time and probably be frustrating. What we really need to put on there is like research blog hosting platform, sign up for one, uh, read a bunch of articles about blogging and blog promotion, right? Like it's actually this much more complex task, like series of tasks. It's not one thing. So if it has more than one step, it is not a task. It's a project. And our brains really need to pull things apart more and not put impossibly large projects on a task list and then get mad at ourselves when we can't finish them in one sitting. AKA everything takes longer than you think it's going to, to do build my business. Wow. I do this every day. Yeah. It helps so much to define the difference between a project and a task. And in the coven, we do these monthly planning sessions where we just brain dump all of the things that are swimming in our brain on one sheet of paper. Cause we usually need to go macro to micro. And then we pick like the top three to five that we really need to make sure we get done that month. And then we determine, is this a task or a project? And then we write down all of the tasks inside the project. And then we schedule the tasks is very helpful. Meow. We need a peer review process. We need someone to check our work and give us head pats. That can be a best friend. It can be a work buddy. It can be a dom. It can be a coach. I don't know what your kink life is like. Doesn't matter, right? I need the head pats. I need to be told. I need a good girl. I do. I live for it. Um, it can be the coven. It can be a combination of all of the above. But we do need someone we can show our work to who will tell us it's good and encourage us and tell us it looks awesome and that we're so clever and good. We need that. We really do. And it's okay that we need that. We don't have to tell ourselves we don't need that and that it's wrong for us to need that or that we shouldn't need that. It's okay that we do. We need a fucking gold star so we can build it into the process. Mine is like my best friend and I are constantly texting each other. Can I call you and read you this copy? Can I share this thing with you? My mentor, I am up her butt. She's on maternity leave and I have to try really hard to leave her alone because I'm like, can you look at this for me? What do you think about this? What should I do with this? Does this look good? Do you like this? Do you want to listen to this recording? Like I need the head pads. It keeps me going. Also with the existential doom thing, if I don't get eyes on things early and often and have people encourage me, I can tell myself it's not good. Same thing with choreography. I work better if there's other dancers in the room. If I choreograph alone, I'll talk myself out of every idea and I won't commit to anything and I'll change stuff every time. It takes way longer. If I have another dancer with me, they're like, is this on five or is it on seven? And I'm like, okay, you're right. Let's make a decision. I need other people. We need other people. Stop trying to do everything yourself. We need nervous system work and attachment healing. We do. Little gift to kids. We are traumatized. If we do not trust humans... If we do not believe that anything we do matters and we don't believe that people are going to show up for us and we don't believe that we can make a difference with our work, then we have healing to do. That cannot be avoided. You cannot do it after the work is done. The work will not get done if you don't do the healing. You need to stick to the work. And I said this before. It's not like do the healing and your business will work. Learn a strategy and the business will work. Get the education and a business will work. It's all of them together. 
it is a comprehensive thing. There is not one answer. All of them are the answer together. We need nervous system work. We need attachment healing. We need to expand our capacity for dealing with the unknown. We need to get more comfortable with mistakes and we need strategy and we need education and we need support all at the same time. We need to find 256 ways not to make a light bulb. Um, I don't know if you've heard this story. It's probably not true, but it's about Thomas Edison uh, and it that he failed at making a light bulb 256 times and succeeded on the 257th. And he was asked, what did it feel like to fail 256 times? And he said, I never failed. I learned 256 ways not to make a light bulb. That's what we need. We need to expand our failure tolerance. We need to redefine our relationship to the idea of failure and mistakes. We have been trained in public school and in gifted kid education. We've been trained to know the right answer, not discover the answer through experimentation. Do we feel the difference? Our value is in knowing the answer, not discovering the answer. We have to shift to an attitude where our value comes through our willingness to discover things through experimentation. Actually, our value just comes from our innate beingness. But if we're going to value something in ourselves, it's not to know, it's to learn. I can't tell you how often I have people tell me they're afraid to come to dance class because they don't know how to dance. I'm like, "Um, you don't come to class to know. You come to learn. That's what you're coming for. That's why you go to class. In his book, Adapt, Why Success Always Starts with Failure, Tim Harford writes, We have no idea why a certain thing will work. No idea at all. But the moment you step back from the God complex and you say, let's just try a bunch of stuff. Let's have a systematic way of determining what's working and what's not. Then you can solve a problem. If mistakes or things not working is the most uncomfortable thing ever for you, and our current programming is that we want to avoid discomfort at all costs, we will try to play safe. We are educated to play safe. Society encourages playing safe and we're taught what's safe is to have a job, first of all, right? Safety comes from big companies, from organizations, which is a trick, y'all. That is a trap, especially if they tell you you are like family. They will fire you. They do not care. They do not care about us. They don't care about you. One of the reasons I love being self-employed on my little trust issue shit, I can't fire myself. I will never come into work to find I've been laid off and my whole department doesn't exist. I lived through two dot-com boom and busts in the Bay Area. I'm never going to have that experience. There is nothing I can do that will make me fire myself. I work here, period. That is actual safety and security. No one can take this away from me. I trust myself to make sure I'm going to be all right way more than I trust any corporation. Playing safe means avoiding anything that could lead to mistakes or things not working, which means we avoid fucking everything. Back to the attachment thing. Do you date like this too? I did. Do you go into every interaction thinking there's no good potential partners out there and everyone is trash and you have sky high walls with everyone you meet and expect everyone to let you down and you refuse to be vulnerable? Because if you do that, it's showing up in your art and your business, right? That's just, I don't trust people. I'm not out here open-hearted being like, I'm going to be okay no matter what happens. I like meeting people. Some people are for me. Some people aren't. And I'm out here with an open heart, excited to share myself with humans. That's not that. That's like, everyone's trash. Stay the fuck away from me. I don't trust you. Everyone's going to let me down. I'm not going to open up until you prove to me it's safe, but there's no way you can prove to me it's safe without me opening up. Oops. We have to give ourselves credit for being strong enough to experience disappointment. 
And if we are not currently strong enough to disappointment, to experience disappointment, go back to number four, right? Nervous system work and attachment healing. We have to be strong enough to experience disappointment. Disappointment is a thing that happens in life. Things don't work out. People leave. Shit lets us down. That is the thing that happens. We have got to be strong enough to know that we can trust ourselves, that if things don't work out the way we want them to, we're going to be okay and we're not going to crumble. We have to cultivate a growth mindset about our ability to learn. We have to fall in love with process. Not product, process. Destination focus versus a process love affair. Once you get your business set up, you just work there. I love my business, y'all. I love it here. I would not want to work anywhere else, but it's my job. I love my job. I would do it for free. I frequently do. There are people who know I'm in their DMs up their butt about their business and they're not my client anymore. I cannot help myself. I love this. I started this job because I was like, wait, lots of people come to me and ask me questions about business and about creative process. And I love having these conversations. I talk to super cool people about business and art all day and life and love and healing. It's my favorite thing, but this is my job. Once I got through setting up systems and making sure I had bank accounts and figuring out what offers are, I just show up every day, right? It's like this idea of having a hit is not the same as do I want to work at my company, right? The idea of like, I'm going to build a brick and mortar store and then I have to show up every day and open the store and turn the lights on and open the doors. It just becomes your job and it can be the best job you've ever had. But again, this idea of like, do I want the fan, do I have a fantasy of my song being number one streaming in the country or do I want to write songs every day? Do I love the fantasy of the New York Times bestseller list or do I love writing my book and being in conversations with my editor? Do I have dreams of touring on stage behind artists or do I love Tasting my own sweat in dance class. A process love affair. If we are not in love with the process of the work, if we don't love doing the work, if we're not so in love with the thing we're building that we're excited to be there every day, it's not going to work. This is like any other relationship, right? This is a marriage. You're going to wake up and see this person's face every day. Do you like that? (laughs) Is that what you want to do? That's how my, right. I am in a relationship with this business. I'm going to wake up, open the laptop, talk to the people most days a week. We need to learn how to be in love with the process of doing more than we are with getting the gold star on the finished product. That's what, that's what makes it stick. My dancers know 95% of your dance life is not on stage. It's in class and rehearsal. So if you don't love class and rehearsal, you're not going to love being a dancer. You're, you're rehearsing for six months to perform for three minutes. We got to love the process. Next, create a moonshots department and declare yourself the president. I am president of the moonshots department as the boss of our company. We can create an environment that rewards getting the wrong answer, right? So right now, 
especially day one perfectionism, we might be like the asshole perfectionistic boss who only uh, verbally abuses our employees and only gives out rewards for uh, reaching impossible standards. We can be a different kind of boss to ourselves. We can be the kind of boss who rewards asking questions so big that even the best and brightest minds can't solve them right off the bat. A moonshot is when we decide to tackle a problem so big, it's believed to be impossible. We can have that, uh, that Alice in Wonderland, I think seven in th- impossible thoughts before breakfast, right? This is really shifting out of the desire to play small so we can always get the right answer. I want to play so big, I can't get the right answer, that I have to strive. And my former gifted kids, you know that we get bored easy when things are too easy for us. We want everything to be easy for us, but we're also bored by things that are easy for us. This is a really yummy way to use our gifts, skills, talents, intellect is by trying to solve bigger problems, taking on things that are going to be a little bit more difficult to solve. So before I get deeper into moonshots, I want to pause and check the chat. Um, to do build my business. And it's kind of like do X, Y, Z thing, but then you can't think of what the first step is. So you don't do it. But in reality, it actually wouldn't take that long or be difficult. It's just a mental block because it seems mysterious and difficult. Yeah. Back on this thing of not knowing what to do. Also, I think one thing that we, we really work on this inside the coven, um, with the never asking for help, um, is that sometimes the first step when we don't know what to do is go find someone who doesn't ask them. And we like never think to put that on the to-do list. (laughs) Like, if I don't know how to do this, my first step is to, like, brainstorm who do I know that might. Or make a Facebook post that just says, like, hey, do I know anyone who knows anything about blah, blah, blah? And seeing if you have anyone in your network and then asking that person if you can buy them coffee and ask them a question. Okay. Uh, Dota said, when I started taking driving lessons, I started by telling my teacher, but I have no idea how to drive. I've never done it. And he was like, um, you're not supposed to. That would have been illegal. Yes. Um, I've always been self-employed and I think about this all the time. I'm in this picture and I don't like it. Yay. Okay. Love all of this. All right. So we're going to talk about moonshots. Google created a company called X, which is called a moonshot factory. I don't know if you know this, but their goal is to solve unsolvable problems. So here's a recipe for moonshots. Anyone in any field can take a moonshot. Not all moonshots have to include a science or tech breakthrough. That's just what they know at at X. That's what they do at X. Each of our moonshots sits at the intersection of three ingredients. Number one, a huge problem in the world that affects millions or billions of people. Two, a radical sci-fi sounding solution that may seem impossible today. Three, a technology breakthrough that gives us a glimmer of hope that the solution could be possible in the next five to 10 years. Sit with that for a second. This is their goal. This is the company's goal. If a challenge isn't big enough that they're like, "Mm, we don't think the solution to this would be possible within the next five to 10 years, they don't take it on. It's not a big enough challenge. They're not interested. What would your business or your life or your art be like if you weren't prioritizing playing it safe, but you were rewarding yourself for playing it as unsafe as possible, right? Have you heard that saying, like, shoot for the moon, at least you'll land amongst the stars? Sometimes if we can expand ourselves out and try to take on a project that's, like, scary big and really go for it and try to see if we can hit it, we're more likely to get good results, right? So sometimes I hear people who are like, oh, 
I mean, I, I'm going to sell my thing and I, I guess I would be happy with three people. And I'm like, out of zero. And they're like, Ernie, I don't know if I can make 30 sales. That's so scary. And I'm like, right. But if you go for 30 sales and you really try to hustle yourself around the idea, how would I get 30 sales? And you end up with 10. That's so much different than if you're like, I would be okay with three and you end up getting one. Pushing ourselves way past what we think is possible right now and stretching ourselves for it and seeing what we get, which I think is part of why I think I told you I've never hit a single one of my launch goals. I think that's part of why is because I'm constantly giving myself these insanely ambitious goals and be like, let's just go. Let's just push. Let's see what happens. So here are their 10 steps for becoming a moonshot taker that I think are really helpful for us. Aim for 10x, not 10%, right? So that thing of like, instead of asking yourself to get three clients out of zero, just see what would happen. What if I 10x my goal? If you're going for 10 times better, it opens up your thinking. It makes smaller challenges easier to envision. It helps you get more creative and you might get more excited. Fall in love with the problem. This is back on being in love in a love affair with the process, not with the answer, not with the solution, the problem. I am in love with the problem of creative, brilliant, heart-centered people who cannot figure out how to make money doing the thing they love. I am in love with that problem. If I was only in love with people who are already doing it, I would be a coach for executives and I would be miserable. Those are not my people. I am not in love with that problem. I don't want to help millionaires make more millions. It's not the problem I'm in love with. The problem I'm in love with is I know so many talented people who are like, why can't I figure out how to make money off of this? I'm in love with that problem because I know how to solve it. We need to make contact with the real world early. This is back to that thing about getting head pats. So don't sit in your tower planning forever. No matter how smart you are, stuff needs to interact with humans. You need to get feedback. You need to beta test. You need to field test. You need to market research. You need to talk to humans. On Perfectionism Day, we were talking about iteration being what wins. Launching a beta of something for cheap and letting everyone know, this is my beta test of this thing. It's never going to be this cheap again. I just need humans to try it out on. You're going to get a work in progress product, right? In dance world, we would invite people to closed rehearsals the week before a show to get audience feedback and get notes. This is the closed rehearsal, like friends and family night process. Process. Do a beta launch, see how the work interacts with people, get real feedback, test it out, and then tweak it and then do it again. But don't spend six years perfecting something alone because here's what happens. You will waste a lot of time and a lot of effort. And then your first launch is still your beta launch no matter what, because it's never seen the light of day. And then you're going to get in there and you're going to workshop it with humans. And you're going to be like, oh God, I should have done this so much earlier because now I see all these changes I want to make. Get it out fast. Get your minimum viable offer together and start showing it to humans, even if it's just your friends or in the coven. Fuel creativity with diverse teams. Different paths, different viewpoints, different life experiences. Get more perspectives. More perspectives is the faster path to innovation. So when we're doing number three and we're letting people see the work, we want to let lots of different kinds of people see the work. 
Tackle the monkey first. <laughs> this means you don't go to the easiest part of the problem. You go to the hardest, meatiest, most important part first. The thing is like, if you're trying to train a monkey to stand on a platform, a lot of people will start like building the platform because that's the easiest part. And they're like, no, no, go, go to monkey training. <laughs> that's going to be the hard part. The platform's easy. Save your easy work for later so that you get like a little cherry. Switch the order. Tackle the harder parts of the problem first. This will also help you know if this is a problem worth pursuing. You can do the smaller, easier work later once you've decided, okay, this problem is worth pursuing. I'm going to take a sip of water. This um, number six, they have it written like this. Embrace failure, crossed out, learning. Now, most people and most work environments train everyone to avoid failure, Right. This is even what we're doing in a lot of jobs. They're like, do it right the first. Here's how we do it. Do it like this. You're not rewarded for creative thinking, which is a lot like school. But solving big problems means failing a few times a day. That's the goal. So this means you have to create a culture that makes it psychologically safe to fail. An office that celebrates failures as much, if not more than successes. Right? I have... Um, What's that show, like Selling Sunset or whatever, like real estate offices where they ring a big bell when someone sells something? It's almost like you want to ring a big bell when you try something and it doesn't work. You're like, yay, we can cross that off the list. We know it doesn't work. We don't have to pursue it anymore. Good to know. Become a chaos pilot. Taking big swings is a bumpy ride that's full of uncertainty. So rather than avoid that uncertainty, we'll want to embrace it. Stare into the unknown. And rather than being paralyzed by it, use it as a source of creative energy and momentum. Decide you're going to surf the chaos and you'll find that the chaos gets easier and can be used to your advantage. Everything about entrepreneurship and trying to release your art to the world is full of things we cannot control. And most of us don't really like that. Not just gifted kids. Like in general, we are not super comfy with uncertainty. People don't like it. We never know. I never know how things are going to sell. Every launch I do, I have ideas. I know what I want, but I never know how it's going to go. I never know who's going to sign up. I never know what's going to happen. I never know what's going to happen. And I have to be okay with that every single day. But that's also not different than anything. In jobs, we think we know what's going to happen, but we never know if today's going to be the day we're going to go in and find out our, our department has been laid off or there's some scandal about our company in the newspapers. We don't know. We don't know if, you know, we live the safest life possible and today's going to be the day that there's a flood. <laughs> we don't know. We do not know. We lure ourselves into thinking that we know what's going to happen by creating predictable environments for ourselves. But I think it's really valuable to recognize that we literally never know what's happening in life and that that is an illusion. We can embrace the unknown and trust ourselves, back to this trust thing, that we're going to be okay and we're going to take care of ourselves no matter what happens. Learn to love version zero crap. Version zero crap means it's not even version one yet. We've been taught that we're supposed to turn in our most polished work. And remember, as gifted kids, it should be, we finished it the fastest without needing to erase a single answer and every single question is right. Right, But we want to turn in our most polished work. With big swings, we cannot get things right the first time or the second time or the third. 
Rather than trying to perfect things, we need to learn to love the version zero crap version. The earliest, scrappiest version you can get real world feedback on. And then we jump back to three, right? Get it in front of humans and use that feedback to iterate. Um, The Elemental Entrepreneurship Coven is, I believe, the fifth version of Elemental Entrepreneurship work. My beta version was a very small group coaching cohort that was just a few hundred dollars and it was like six weeks long. And I was like, oh, this is way more than I thought it was. The next version was a little bit more expensive and it was four months long. I was like, this is still not long enough. This is too small. The next version was six months long. And I ran that six month version multiple times and perfected it before I decided that I wanted to transition it into this membership format, which meant I had to go back, redo a majority of my course material and make it stand alone as a course so that the coaching part could be one part and the course part could be another. It is not fast, this process of deciding to like iterate. I will also say Elemental Entrepreneurship was a product that I came up with after I had done, I would say maybe six other group coaching programs on different topics. I did a lot of iterating before I found the thing where I was like, oh, A, I love this. And B, the material is big enough that my brain never gets bored with it because there's so many different directions I could go with the top. It's a broad enough umbrella for me to have a lot of different ways that I could play inside it. It took me a long time to find it. I was like four years into my business by the time I started this project and I'm now three years into new versions of this project. And there's material inside that I change every year. Number nine, shift your perspective. The answer doesn't always need to be the smartest or more com- or most complex answer. We frequently need a simple tweak or shift in perspective to break through a stuck patch. (laughs) Can you stand on your head? Back to Alice in Wonderland. Sometimes we are really overcomplicating things. Back to that, we talked about this, I think it was yesterday, the idea of making our work too difficult. Frequently, the solution is a very simple solution or the solution is to simplify. Or just have somebody else look, get some outside eyes, get a new perspective. Look at it. I think about crystals, right? When it fractals, you can hold it up. You can look at it from different angles. Every single side of the crystal gives you a different view of the crystal, but it's still all one thing. Got to shift the way we look at stuff. Uh, I also think that a gifted kid syndrome thing is um, we can get very stuck in black and white thinking or in like logical progressions, right? There's one right answer. It has to go like this. And the the way it has to go is our weird overcomplicated version. And sometimes that's a protective mechanism. So opening ourselves up to the idea that like for every problem, there may be 60 correct answers or no correct answer, that there's no such thing as a correct answer, that there's just lots of paths. Really kind of opening up our thinking is very helpful for us. Take the long view. We talked about this, the uh, idea of overestimating what we can do in one year and underestimating what we can do in five at the moonshot factory. Their idea is we only are interested in problems where we don't even think there's going to be a technological solution possible for five to 10 years. Take the long view. Far reaching innovation doesn't come in quarterly goals or a single launch. Give yourself freedom to tackle problems that have solutions way out in the future. 
when we can allow ourselves to conceive of problems that we're going to be solving for years into the future, we open ourselves up to explore and experiment and take more risks and ultimately pursue bigger ideas than we would have otherwise. And I think this connects really nicely back into number one about 10xing our goals, really expanding out our expectations. If I make the commitment that I'm going to work on something for a year before I even try to evaluate whether or not it's working, I'm giving myself so much more space to play. If I make the decision that I'm going to work on something for three years before I decide whether or not it's working, I'm giving myself so much more space to play. So this pressure that we have, that we have to get to the right answer quickest, um, that can be really holding us back. I'm going to check the chat. Chaos Pilot. How do we square that bigger 10x thinking with breaking things down smaller and smaller? Love that question. Just like this. So if I say my goal is to get three sales, I don't really have much, right? I can make it one, two, three on the list. But if I say my goal is to make 30 sales, I then go into, okay, how do I make 30 sales? There's some math things involved with that. I'm looking at 2% conversion rate. So then I need to reach this many people. So now, okay, here's how I would do something like that. I'm using 30 sales. Um, I never know how to do this math. Um, 30 is 2% of... Okay, so... The average conversion rate a pretty good conversion rate in an online program is, is 2%, right? So if I want 30 sales, that means I need 1,500 people to interact with my content. So then my goal is I need to get in front of 1,500 people. Say I'm trying to sell for 30 days. That means that I need to get rejected 50 times a day for 30 days to get 30 sales. So my goal would now be to get 50 no's a day. And I would start now looking into how do I get 50 no's a day? I would probably make some kind of tracking sheet for myself. And I could look at, okay, am I going to do this through ads? Am I going to do it through posts? Am I tracking my Instagram metrics? Um, how do I chunk this goal down even smaller than that? The next thing is 50 no's a day. Okay. Does that mean I'm going to send 50 DMs a day? 50 emails? 50 texts, what am I going to do that I can control? What's the part that I can control to get myself out there and start taking the actions required to meet this goal so that I can, at the end of 30 days, say, okay, I got in front of 1,500 people. Now I can look at my conversion rate. Now I can see, did I hit 2%? Did I do better? Did I do worse? Um, I really like that when we're doing things like 10x bigger, we're using numbers because so often, especially with our day one perfectionist gifted, gifted kid mindset stuff, um, we're not defining what's going on. We're just being like, I really want a good result. Well, what does that mean? We're not breaking it down numerically. What do I consider a good result? And then what are the real metrics behind how I would get that result? 
And what are the actions that I can take that I can control about whether or not I'm going to get them? When I can break everything down numerically and just be in charge of the things that I'm in charge of, right? Like take that, like do this every day. I can track that and I can collect data and I can analyze the data, but it also gives me an opportunity to see at what point do I get frustrated and want to give up? I recently got tasked by my mentor to um, do 50 pitches for guests on my podcast. And so I made a tracking sheet. I wrote down 50 people I wanted to invite to be guests on my podcast. And I started making three pitches a day. By day two, no one had responded to me and I wanted to quit and I hated it. And I thought everyone was rude. And I was like, okay, well, that's, there we go. Now I have data of how much patience do I have for something before I'm mad? Not a lot. That shows me where I need to work. Okay. Cause I have to make 50. I've made six. I have, there's something I need to do here for myself to see what is my actual capacity for disappointment and frustration. I see that it is very small compared to this goal. And that lets me know where, where do I need to resource myself? Where do I need to shift my perspective? What's the inner work I need to do to match this outer work? Um, I think it was Ira Glass who said, if you want to create good art, you're definitely going to have to create bad art first. Yeah, that's the gap. Very important. Um, people have to bounce. Thank you for so much. It's an amazing three days. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to answer this question, but I want to hop uh, to the next part because we are already about to be over. I understand if you have to leave right at 10. I want to introduce you to the art of underdoing it. The art of underdoing it is my favorite thing. I do it. This is how I run my business. It's called the art of underdoing it. I think I made this up. It goes like this. Find a chunk of a project so small you have no resistance to doing it and then do that. Then celebrate doing that. Get somebody to give you head pats for that and then do it again. Now, here's what I mean. I'm going to go back to a workout example because this is something I had for a long time. People may relate to it. I used to tell myself I want to do yoga every day. But what I meant by that was I have to do like an hour long power yoga practice or it doesn't count. But then there would be days that I was tired and days I didn't want to and days that I had resistance to doing it. And so I wouldn't do it. And then I would beat myself up for falling off. And like, then I would like take three weeks off to beat myself up. And then I would start a new goal and I'd start all over. When I started doing yoga every day was when I started saying that what counted as yoga was that I sat on my mat. Five minutes of Shavasana means I practiced. The goal is get on your mat every day, not do an hour long practice. Doesn't matter what the practice is. Get on your mat every day. Sometimes I need 10 minutes of Shavasana more than I need an hour long practice right? This mental thing I have where I am giving myself this really hard goal and it's some kind of like mental toughness challenge where I have to prove something to myself. That's not helpful for me and is really just setting up systems and metrics where I'm going to beat myself up. If I'm noticing that I have something I need to do, right? Something's on my to-do list and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. The question I can ask myself is, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to clean my kitchen. I don't want to. Can I commit to just like picking up the things that have collected on the counter? No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> okay. Could I commit to just taking the dishes that are on the stove, the pots and pans on the stove and put them in the sink and put water in them? Yeah, that's reasonable. I'll do that. Okay, cool. But I'm really only doing it because I want to make coffee. Okay, that's fine. This, this is a deal. Let's do that. Just fill the pots with water and then walk away, right? Right. 
I will go smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until I find something I have no resistance to doing and then just do that much and then celebrate yourself for just doing that much. Something is better than nothing. Anyone who's tried to build flexibility can tell you three minutes a day of stretching is better than stretching once a week for an hour, right? A little tiny bit more frequently, right? Touching it every day is going to get you better results long-term than putting pressure on yourself that when you do it, you have to do it, right? This is a very ADHD thing too. I have to work in these perfect ways in a perfect situation where the temperature is right and the room is clean and there's no distractions and I'm going to do deep work for two hours and I'm going to turn my phone off. Like we sometimes create lots of really complicated rules for ourselves about doing the work. And the more we can strip all that away and simplify, 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 and like do one tiny anything that we have no resistance to doing just to get moving plenty that's plenty after we do that we look around what's the next thing I have no resistance to doing and then we do that there are gonna be days they always come back which leads us nicely into learn to trust and ride your energetic wave there are gonna be days where especially if you have ADHD that you have the power of a thousand suns inside you and you get so much work done and you get more done in a day than normal people get done in a week and then there's going to be days where you are lucky if you can put the pots into the sink and let them soak. That's just how it works. But we do need to trust that the, the energy days come back. And we don't have to punish ourselves for the low energy days. This is internalized capitalism, right? We're not robots. We move seasonally. We move cyclically. We move on waves. We move with our hormones. We move based on sleep. We move dependent on what other emotional things are happening in our lives, we are part of an integrated system and it's okay to trust ourselves that we will have some days where not a lot gets done and we will have other days where a ton gets done. I also want to point out if you have a day job, this is probably true at your day job too, right? You have days where you're like, I was at my desk. My body was present and accounted for. Did I get a lot done today? Please no one check. Uh, but I was there, right? My ass was in the seat for eight hours. We all have that. Now at my own job, I don't do that. If I have a day where I have no energy, I will art of underdoing it like a few things that must happen, right? I'm never going to let something I promised a client not happen. I'm never going to not show up for an appointment unless there's a huge emergency. Um, I'm never going to write like somebody's waiting on something from me. I'll reach out to them. Even if I'm like, Hey, I can't do this for you today, but I will, I'll do those things. And then sometimes I'm like, Hey, my brain is not braining today. Uh, today is a Netflix day. Today is a beach day. Today I'm going to the movies. I'm tired. I trust my body and I know that I'm going to have a major output day later and it's going to be okay. The goal of working for yourself is not to recreate extractive corporate conditions in your own business. That's not the goal. I don't want to work like that. I want to work in a business that trusts my body. Working sustainably means you have to find ways to work that are right for your body. Do you work best in the morning? Do you work best in two-hour chunks? Do you work best with a body double? Do you work best late at night or on weekends? However you work is the right way for you to work. And this is something that takes a lot of people a really long time to trust because we've been really conditioned into like we have to work a certain way on other people's schedule. And we're scared that if we let ourselves work on our own, that we're going to never do anything. Um, 
I know I've been using a lot of diet culture examples today, but here's another one. I was afraid for a long time that if I wasn't on a diet, I would not know what to eat. And I would just like eat French fries for every meal because I spent so much of my life eating on some prescribed plan that someone else told me, this is how you eat healthy. This is what you do. And I was so afraid that if I just trusted my own hunger and ate what I wanted when I wanted, that my body was completely unreliable. We are trained in this culture that our bodies are unreliable sources of information. They are not. Your body is wise. Your body knows what you need. Your body knows how to take care of you. Your body will not lead you astray. So learning to trust yourself and schedule your work time for when you work best and scheduling time off during your less productive times rather than trying to push yourself through them is part of the pathway off the gifted kid to struggling entrepreneur pipeline. Pushing yourself, extracting from yourself, forcing work on yourself when you don't want to work, et cetera, creates burnout. And then we will try to work ourselves out of burnout and shame ourselves for the burnout. We have to learn how to rest without guilt in order to have a more enjoyable relationship with work. Period. And most of us are not going to get that from working at a company because they're not going to let us be like, I work at 2 a.m. on Fridays. <laughs> That's when I work. I don't know what to tell you. It's when I do my best work. If you would like me to get all of this week's work done, let me do it at 2 a.m. on Friday. I am telling you, I will bang that shit out. Also, human design stuff, like my projectors, no. I need six hours of staring at a wall in order to be the most productive you have ever seen me be for two hours. That's just how my body works. My un It looks like nothing's happening. A lot of work is happening inside. That's how I work, Right. I know that there are days when I will not get anything done until my body decides it's time and I will just like chill, do whatever. And then at like 5 p.m., I'm like, ooh, I feel like writing now. And then I let myself do writing until I'm done writing and I will get all of the work done that I would have like slogged through and hated all day if I tried to force myself to work on a schedule. We do not have to do that. So part of this completing things thing, iterating, letting things go out earlier, getting head pats for things sooner, letting people see our work, getting feedback on our work, changing our relationship to trying things and having them not work, doing things in much smaller chunks, and then also allowing ourselves to work the way that is right for our bodies and not pressuring ourselves to work when we're not ready. A lack of coercion across the board. What does it look like, right? We're not just building businesses here. We are changing the culture. I really believe that all of us are here to change the culture. If you're an artist, a creative, or a healer, the gift, skills, and talents that you were born with are here to shift the culture. That doesn't stop at how we do business. That includes how we do business. If we're interested in building a more equitable culture that's rooted in consent, Self-consent is important. I don't force my body to do things my body doesn't want to do. And I don't want anyone to. When we can really trust that our bodies can lead us well and that we can honor our, ourselves, our physical selves, and still be safe in the world and make money, right? I can trust myself that I'm not going to punish myself and beat myself up mentally. I can also trust myself to parent my body well. And that I'm not going to, right? Like I think about people who are like, my, I don't force my kids to give hugs to their family members at Christmas, right? 
I wasn't parented like that. I was parented in the way that was like little kids do what they're told. Right. As an adult, I don't force my body to do anything. And that is something that we get to bring into work. And that shift changes things. It changes how we relate to work. It really does. It's so much easier to complete things when we know we're not going to pressure ourselves to do it and we're not going to braid ourselves with the result. (gasps) We did it. Three days of Gifted Kid Pipeline. We're done. We did it. High five to all of us. Gold stars for everyone. I know we talked a lot up top about Coven. I will just tell you again, the doors are open. I would love to have you there. I would love to help you uh, continue your journey off of the Gifted Kid to Struggling Entrepreneur Pipeline. I'm going to throw the link in the chat. I'm going to get caught up in the chat. And I know we're over. If people got to go, totally understand. I will stay and answer questions. We can do Q&A. Um, so jumping back to Taylor's question, real big question. Let's say I have an idea of a problem I want to tackle and I think it's a good idea and I know I can't do it alone. So I definitely need to reach out to people to collaborate with and get advice from, but I'm not exactly sure who to talk to. I'm concerned someone might steal my idea and have more money or resources or whatever to work on it for just NDAs. Super reasonable to have people sign an NDA. I know that that might seem scary, but I do have non-disclosure agreements. Like if I interview someone for a position at the company, I have them sign an NDA before I let them see what's going on before we do training. NDAs. I think I'm talking about like just initial, like you're talking about like, oh, you know, reaching out on social media or something like, okay. Like how, how would I find someone to work on a project without totally giving away I'm not kidding. I would have them sign an NDA before you tell them what the idea is. If you're thinking this is such a good idea that someone with more money than me could steal it and make money off of it, I would have them sign an NDA before you tell them the idea. So I would reach out and say, I have a potential project that I'm working on. I'm interested in collaborating with you. I want to know if you might be interested. We can get together and talk about it. It is in this arena. Is that something you're open to and interested in? And they would say yes. And then you could say, um, when we meet, I'm going to ask you to sign a non-disclosure agreement before I share this with you, because it is a project that I am potentially going to be launching commercially and making money off of. And I want to protect my intellectual property. Are you comfortable with that? And if they say no, don't tell them your idea. Sounds so formal. <laughs> yeah. Business is formal. But to protect your IP. Well, yeah, if, we yeah. are, if we, if what we're doing is an information product or a piece of art, protecting your, like, I know we've all had this, right? We've all had situations where someone has stolen from us. Someone has copied us. Someone has um, taken our work and passed it off as their own. If you do not have your brand protected and you don't have anything in writing, you have no legal recourse for that. And I really believe creatives, all of us, like you have an idea in your head right now that's worth a million dollars. You do. Your IP, your intellectual property deserves to be protected and it deserves to be taken seriously. Your creative work deserves to be protected and deserves to be taken seriously. Um, It does happen. Like, okay, so here's an example. I choreographed a piece to um, 
off of Lemonade, I think it was Beyonce reading one of Warsan Shire's poems. And one of my teachers is Aisha Francis. She was Beyonce's choreographer. I showed it to her and she said, this is beautiful. And honestly, this would be really good for Beyonce to do, but I can't show it to her because she will steal it from you. She's known for stealing artist work. That is like a thing that's known in the industry. She underpays dancers and she steals people's choreography. Um, she could pay. She chooses not to. I can't combat her legal team. There is no way my little ass can fight Beyonce if she chooses to steal my choreography. So the best decision I can make is please don't pass it to her team. Don't show her. I don't want her to see it. But when we're talking about people who are smaller companies, our peers, anything like that, we, there's something there's no video record of. We're just going to go have a conversation with someone. Telling someone up front, I need you to sign an NDA before I show you this. Is a, if somebody, I've had people do that with me. Before I can ask you to be my business coach, I need you to sign an NDA because when I pitch you or when I interview with you about being my coach, I need to tell you what my business is and it's proprietary. I'm really trying to build something here. I'm happy to sign it because I know I'm not going to steal from them. Bind me. To, I have no interest in stealing your idea. I'm happy to sign whatever you need me to sign. I've done it multiple times and I've had people choose not to coach with me. I'm not going to steal their idea. So if you have something where you're, you think it's a really good idea to the point that you're a little concerned that if you bring it to someone, they would take it, have them sign something. Because if they do take it, at least then you can sue them and get something. I mean, right? Like that's all we have. Do I, you use like a template NDA? Do you just like find one mm -hmm. online? Rocket Lawyer. Yeah. Rocket Lawyer. Yeah. Rocket Lawyer works. Um, same thing with trademarking, y'all. Like if you have a name for your company and you have your your website registered, but you haven't trademarked the name of your business, trademark the name of your business go through the trademark process, like, right, own your intellectual property. Because if somebody takes it and they trademark it first, there is nothing you can do about it. I gotta say, I appreciate this answer because it's not all lovey-dovey, you know, just like, oh yeah, just be open, you know, because contracts you know, keep people like being open and vulnerable, but it's like, yeah, you, pe people will steal your idea if they can, if it's a good idea. Contracts <laughs> keep people friends. They really do. I don't care how much I love my boo. If we move in together, we're signing a lease, like we're signing an agreement first about who owns what. Because I'm sick of losing DVDs and pants. <laughs> Contracts keep people friends. I don't want to fight on the back end. I want to have things clear up front, right? That idea that clear is kind. Clear is kind. It is a kindness to both of us. If you can do this for me and give me the reassurance that you're not going to steal from me, it is a kindness for me. If I can let you know up front how seriously I'm taking this and that I'm not going to show it to you unless you can agree that you're going to take it seriously too, that's a kindness to you. If you say no, that's a kindness to me. I'm not willing to promise you that. Okay, let's not go further. Let's all know what we're agreeing to up front. This is about money, right? Like if you have an idea that could make millions of dollars, you're going to be really upset if somebody steals it from you and they make millions of dollars off your shit. I mean, if, if I were to like, let's say, 
get the business off the ground and it is successful and someone else like sort of copies it like makes a less good version of it i'm fine like that would be fine yeah you know if it like starts an idea or like starts a movement okay yeah but yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't want someone else to be the first one if it was my thought it happens happens. that song seven rings by ariana grande is a knockoff of a princess nokia song and ariana grande has a bigger legal team than princess nokia and everybody knows but there's nothing that can be done about it because if princess nokia tried to sue ariana grande ariana grande's legal team would shut it down right like this happens in the world people get stolen from and femmes especially our intellectual property is not taken seriously and our art gets stolen fuck that shit Ask them to sign something. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Dr. Kat said, yes, I tell myself I'm literally allowed to go to the gym and do nothing at all. The requirement is just to show up. Needless to say, once I'm there, I always work out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Taylor said, Dr. Kat, yes. Or sometimes I say, I'll just wash one spoon or one glass. And then the water's running and it's warm. And a few minutes later, I've washed all the dishes. Yes. Uh, Sue asked, what do you mean by body double? Body doubling is an ADHD term that just means I need another human present to do the work. So I have certain tasks that I know I will not do unless someone is sitting next to me. There's a great example right here. I'll show you this inbox, this huge pile of paper to my left. I will not file it unless someone comes and sits in my office. They don't have to work. They just need to talk to me. I just need someone with me. Right. So it's like to clean out my closet. I would be much more likely to do it if someone would just come hang out with me and be present in the room while I do the work. Um, A lot of people with ADHD Um, it's like something about our energy. We work better if there's like someone to anchor off of and to keep our minds slightly engaged while we're doing tasks, we have a lot of resistance to. So something we do in Coven a lot is that people are encouraged to just post when they need a body double and we just get on zoom together and people are working. We're just like, you're there, you're on zoom. I'm you're here. I'm here. We're doing our own work, but we're just present for each other. Um, so yeah, it's sort of like co-working, but we don't have to be working on the same thing. And sometimes the other person doesn't even have to be working frequently. I just need a person. <sighs> Your body will not lead you astray. Yes. Hooray. Woo. Nathan said, hi, Nathan. How do you differentiate between an idea you would like to persuade versus a hyper fixation that will fizzle in two days, two weeks, two months down the line? Um Dr. Cat responded, have you tried daily journaling, but for biz ideas? Uh, Dota said, building on what Dr. Cat said, you might want to check out the idea of a scanner day book as popular as by Barbara Scher. Uh, Dota, I don't know what that is, but I'm intrigued. Should I just Google it? Okay. So I'm going to just, um, so Two things. One is yes, write them down. I um I used to write them down by hand, but now I use Notion for everything. And I have um a, a second brain in Notion. And I just like I have a database for like ideas that for projects that I might want to start. It's full of like very funny things, all kinds of random things, just ideas, just ideas. I just throw them in there. For me, I noticed that like the things that rattle. The things that keep coming up over and over again, the things that like kind of, I just keep having a returning feeling about them. Um, those tend to be the things that I move forward on. Um, 
And then there are things that just pop up once and I write them down. And six months later, I look at the list and I'm like, chicken monkey, what is that? Like, what was I thinking? Why did I think that was a note that I would remember? Both are possible. (laughs) So yes, write them down, but also take note, I think, of the ones that just come up over and over and over again. Um, And then because it's you, I would say do some divination on it. If you're like, oh, is this something I should, this keeps coming up for me. I keep thinking about it. I feel like I keep getting hints about it. I would do some divination on it and see if there's something in there for you. Um, I will look up a scanner day book too. That sounds interesting. Um, I had never heard of body doubling, but I need it really bad. Yes, it's so fun. Allie said, sometimes I just open a Zoom room and work by myself. It's enough to body double for me. Oh, that's interesting. You are like body doubling with your other self. Uh, Dota said, it's basically a notebook where you capture any and all ideas you have, and then you're free to expand on them or just leave them to live in the notebook until their time has come or maybe forever. It's helpful if you tend to shoot from one project to the next and never quite finish something, but do look it up. It will be better explained. Okay, love that. All right. Awesome. Any last questions before we close? Anything I can do for you or anything that you want to share about this process, these three days? I would love to hear. I think it's just been like super validating and a, a good, helpful perspective shift on some things that could seem like problems, but aren't necessarily problems. I love that. Yeah. They're features. (laughs) It's a feature. It's a fun feature of how my brain works. (laughs) Thank you all so much. Thank you for being here and for going through this. Dota said, yes, very validating, feeling very seen. Thank you for your wisdom. You're so welcome. Um, Allie said, I have some shadow stuff to play with from these three days. I'll figure out how to make accountability for myself in the cup and love that. Thank you. It's been such an honor, such a pleasure. If you have thoughts, if you have questions, if you want to reach out, you can always email me. Um, You can always uh, Instagram DM me. You can Facebook message me. I'm around. I'll always answer you. If you have anything that comes up, you want to talk more, I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much. Virtual hugs. We did it. Have a great day. Go finish some stuff. (laughs) Bye. That's our episode for today. Thank you as always for being here and for listening to the podcast. I know there are so many things that you could be doing with your time. So many things you could be listening to. It is an honor that you choose to be here. Connect with me on Instagram at intuitive edge coaching or join my Facebook group unstuck group to suggest topics or people that you'd like to hear me interview on this show. Have a great day.